This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 366. Overworking and having these other areas of life, these other domains at a deficit impacts our professional performance. We find ourselves before long, if we're in that stuck in the hustle fallacy with a deficit of, of professional performance, we're just not performing at a high level. Winning at work gives us the confidence, joy, and financial support necessary to support our personal priorities. Succeeding at life, in turn, fosters a clear mind, creativity, and a rested body so we can focus on the work that matters most. This is not an abstract hope. It's a concrete, daily reality. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. If you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. To that end, we're joined each week by a successful and inspiring author, and we dive into their latest book and unique insights on things like personal and professional growth, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we're joined for the first time by an author whose co-author has been with us a couple of times. I'm talking about Megan Hyatt Miller and her co-author, Michael Hyatt. They've written a new book called Win at Work and Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. And I'll be asking Megan to share about the importance of understanding the concept they call the double win, her take on constraints as they relate to productivity, creativity, and freedom, her belief that despite what other experts say, achieving work-life balance is not impossible, and lots more. By the way, I've just completed a resource that can also help you in many of these areas. It's a free ebook available at my website right now called Dream Big, Five Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Life. As I've interviewed nearly 400 people the last eight years, I have found these personal habits to be ones that nearly all of them have in common and are directly responsible for their success. Not just success, but success with significance, the kind of success that matters, that impacts other people and leads leaves a legacy. If you'd like this free ebook that you can finish in less than an hour, it's about 25 pages. Go to my website right now, readtoleadpodcast.com. It's yours free. Just enter your name and email address in the form on the upper right of the page. It's called Dream Big, Five Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Life. And again, it's at readtoleadpodcast.com. Megan Hyatt Miller is the Chief Executive Officer at Michael Hyatt and Company. She's also the co-host of the Lead to Win podcast, one of my favorites, which is consistently featured in the Top 100 in Apple Podcasts. As the architect of Michael Hyatt and Company's standout culture, she's committed to helping her team win at work and succeed at life while also delivering phenomenal results to their customers. Under her leadership, the company was named as one of Inc. Magazine's Best Workplaces for 2020, which ranks the top companies in America for their employee engagement. When she's not taking the company to new heights, she's fully present at home with her husband and five kids. Megan's new book, co-written with New York Times bestselling author and two-time Read to Lead podcast guest, Michael Hyatt, aka Dad, is called Win at Work and Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. I am thrilled to have her here today. Megan, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it must be pretty cool, I would think, uh, you know, from a legacy perspective and a lot of other reasons to be able to say I've co-written a book 
with my dad. How cool is that? It's really cool. You know, this was an amazing experience. We've simultaneously been in the midst of completing a succession plan within the company of mm. him moving out of the CEO seat into the chairman and founder spot and me taking over as the CEO. And that's just been really special too. So we've always been close, but this uh, last year uh, or two have been really neat um, for us both personally and professionally. So yeah, it's been great. Well, one of the through lines in the book uh, is this concept of, of the double win. Yep. Um, in fact, you dedicate uh, time at the end of each of the chapters that cover one of the, one of the five principles uh, to this concept, applying it to that particular principle. Generally speaking, what does that mean when you talk about the double win? Yeah, so the double win basically means that what, what my vision and my dad's vision is for our readers is that they would um, win at work and succeed at life. So as the title implies, that is the transformation that we're after for you as the reader. And you know what kind of happens that we find in culture is there really are two binary options that we're presented with. Uh, one is called the hustle fallacy, and that's the one we're really familiar with. We see that in the news with people like Elon Musk who sleep on their couch couch in their office and they're burning the candle at both ends. And, you know, we probably have made these compromises on our, our own time as well, where we say things like, you know, I just got to get through this project, or I just got to really hustle because I'm launching this business, or I got to finish this book that I'm writing or, you know, whatever, fill in the Mm -hmm. blank for yourself. And what we find is that those little compromises where we tell ourselves it's temporary become permanent. And it really becomes kind of our bragging rights about how little sleep we're getting, how much we're working. And unfortunately, the consequence of that is usually our health, our emotional, mental well-being, our most important relationships, our spiritual life, uh, and our impact in the world outside of our our professional impact, or or even sometimes at the expense of our professional impact, you know. So uh, that's one option is the hustle fallacy. And it's Mm. a fallacy because the hustling never ends and you never get to the point where you don't have to do it. It just, it's it's self-perpetuating. And then the other is called the ambition break. And that's really the uh, kind of binary answer to the hustle fallacy where we think, (laughs) oh yeah, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to look back with regret that I missed my, all my kids sporting events and, you know, I forgot my anniversary and, and, you know, I'm I'm at risk for a heart attack because of all this stress. So I guess I better just dial it back. I better be content with accomplishing less and, you know, it may not reach my potential, but but at least I won't look back at having, you know, just burned through people and health and all the other things. And so it's, it feels like the world presents us with these two options, the Mm. hustle fallacy and the ambition break. What my dad and I are really saying in the book is no, what we want for you is the double win. You don't have to choose, you know, you have to be intentional, I guess is the best way to say it, but you don't have to choose between achieving your personal fulfillment and uh, potential and your professional potential. You really can win at work and succeed at life. Well, what are then some of the more common reasons that that people overwork? Is it these 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 examples that we're seeing, the Elon Musks, et cetera, yeah. and, and, and people leading by example because they're overworking, we think we have to do it too? For sure, that's definitely one. There are others though. And you know, it's funny, it's not all bad. Um, some of the things mm. that lead us to overwork are actually good. For example, for a lot of us, work is really fun. You know, we we really like our work. And so it's it's not actually that hard to overwork. It's not like we're kind of beating ourselves, you know, over the head with it. We mm. actually enjoy work. And sometimes it's so fun that we don't want to quit. Also, a lot of times it's where we get our sense of growth. Um, mm-hmm. It's where we get our sense of identity. And we haven't cultivated growth and identity in other places in our life. And so it's really where we get that fulfillment is from our work. 
Um, also, you know, it's, the research is interesting on this. In our work, we experience something called flow, which is kind of like when we're outside of time, when the mm. ideas are flowing, when we feel really creative. And that's something that doesn't necessarily happen in our personal life, which kind of leads us to the next point. Mm-hmm. Work gives us definable wins. You know, this is something I hear a lot from our clients when they come to us overwhelmed and they're trying to figure out how to, you know, move to something better. They're usually stuck in that hustle fallacy and they want to have the double win. One of the underlying reasons is particularly for people with young children or maybe some challenges at home or, you know, just the dailiness of life. I mean, how do you measure a win? How do you check off on your to-do list, you know, made dinner tonight? or went to the kids' games, or uh, helped the kids with their homework, or went on a date with my spouse, or went to therapy with my spouse, right? Like those aren't quantifiable wins in the way exceeding my budget by 12% is. You know, that's a very different Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I think the other thing is, and you know, you were just talking about this a minute ago, there's a a kind of status, a kind of, uh, like really it's anti-virtue, but virtue signaling around not sleeping, Mm -hmm. around working too much and bragging. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a, you know, some some uh, bravado that comes with that. Um, And then there's expectations. I mean, there's expectations from the world. Maybe that's the culture of your company. Maybe that's what your boss expects of you. Maybe that's, um, you know, what your shareholders or your board expects. And so you just play to those expectations because you feel like you don't really have a choice. And, And what you end up with is just this cult of overwork that we feel like we cannot break free from. Well, it can be, I think, hard, especially for high achievers when it comes to trying mm-hmm. to orient life around anything other than, than work. Uh, what happens when we neglect some of those other domains? You know, I was talking to somebody else about this earlier. I, I feel like after 2020, we have been stuck in this survival part of our brain, mm. right? I mean, this is just kind of like basic neurobiology. Our brains are wired for survival. And so especially when you come off a year like 2020, and here we are in 2021, and there's still kind of the PTSD of that in some ways, you know, some sometimes areas of our life that maybe were priorities before, just we're not even thinking about it, you know, and we mm. were finding ourselves today way out of balance um, in areas like our spiritual life, our intellectual life, our emotional life, our physical life, our marital or romantic life, our parental life, social, avocational, financial. I mean, those are really the domains of your life in addition to the vocational one, but we tend to focus on the vocational one to the exclusion of the others. And what we see is health outcomes that are terrible, Mm. mental health outcomes that are terrible, relational outcomes with kids, spouses, family members, that are just, you know, they're just kind of bankrupt. Um, you see this in people's spiritual life where they just feel disconnected spiritually. And and the consequences of that are huge. You know, what's, what's really interesting, though, and I think I, I don't want anybody to miss this who's listening. I'm not just talking about that the consequences of overworking affect your personal life. That I think that's obvious to us. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's the, the first level. But actually overworking and having these other areas of life, these other domains at a deficit impacts our professional performance. We find ourselves before long, if we're in that stuck in the hustle fallacy with a deficit of, of professional performance, we're just not performing at a high level. And there comes a point, and you guys cite some of this research in the book, where if you're working 70 hours, yeah. you, really, you really stop being productive at around 50, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So, yeah. you know, we all think that we continue to make gains if we're hustling. You know, if I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, mm. that must mean I'm getting more done. 
The yeah. research says, though, Stanford has, has studied this, and they have said, actually, no, the gains stop after 50 hours. So if you're working any more than 50 hours, you're actually getting diminishing returns, and the person in your office working 40, 50 hours a week is going to be ahead of you, which is crazy. It's counterintuitive. It is, but it's true. It is true. <laughs> uh, in my work as a coach, I'm constantly uh, pushing the idea with clients that constraints actually foster freedom. Uh, I learned yep. that your dad is a is was a musician. I should say is still a musician. Yes. And when I think of music and songwriting or playing, I think of the constraints there. I think of key signatures and time signatures and you know, scales and chord progressions. And there's only 12 notes to work with. But right. somehow in leveraging all those constraints, beautiful music can be created. If you want to just go and bang on the keyboard, that's fine, but nobody's really going to want to listen to that. What's your take on constraints as they relate to productivity and creativity and freedom? Well, I love constraints. I have come to be a huge fan of constraints for exactly the reasons that you're mentioning. So mm. here's the thing about constraints. When we have unlimited options, our brain is kind of lazy. You know, it doesn't <laughs> really get focused and it doesn't really get truly creative, by which I mean mixing and matching things in different combinations in different ways, seeing solutions that previously were obscure. You know, when you start to put uh, sometimes even extreme constraints in place, what you'll find is your best ideas come. You know, for example, at our company last year, um, this happened. I was just going through some notes to try to nail down the date. But in mm. uh, late March, we constrained our workday at Michael Hyde and Company as an experiment to six hours a day. And that was just born out of absolute necessity. I mean, we had people with suddenly children at home, toddlers mm. at home, daycare was closed, school was closed. You know, they're trying to have Zoom meetings with the kids crawling all over their back, you know, or they got to stop and feed the baby or they got to take the dog out or whatever. All of a sudden, work and home are totally blurred. And we said, mm. you know, working eight hours feels like 12 right now. We have got to cut this down just for, for people's sanity so that they can make it through the day and attend to the other areas of their life that suddenly now they can't be delegated or outsourced. <laughs> They've got to do everything themselves, right? Mm. Like we were mm. all in that position. And what we found is that in, in this experiment, we were more productive, we had more creative ideas, we produced more than we ever have. In fact, to a financial point, we actually exceeded our profit goal for the year by 50%. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and we cut gross. our work time by 25% across the company. Now, we're not completely where every single person on the team is doing this 100% of the time yet. We've got a couple departments like our sales team that we're working on making some adjustments more structurally the, to make that possible for them. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of our people were able to do this. And I'm telling you what, those constraints drove innovation, drove high leverage activities that straight to the bottom line. I mean, I'm, this is not squishy mm. stuff. This is straight <laughs> to the bottom line. And that's what I love about constraints. That's one of the, I think, one of the, the, the biggest takeaways for me yep. from uh, the book. Now, you guys were already operating in a climate pre-COVID of uh, employees working at the office if they wanted to, working yes. from home if they right. wanted to, and being very um, uh, free with that, I guess, right. is maybe the word. Having already been in that position, I would imagine that made the transition to COVID <laughs> seamless or relatively yeah. seamless. What advice would you give for those who found that to be a major adjustment? 
Yeah, well, certainly it was a major adjustment. And for us, you know, the working remotely part was not the adjustment. What was an adjustment, though, was all the kids being home. You know, mm-hmm. that's not most working parents either have children in school or they have daycare or a nanny or something. You know, they're not trying to juggle a toddler while working a full time job. So that was new, I think, regardless mm-hmm. of whether you already had a, a remote or hybrid culture prior to that. So I think we were all figuring that out in real time together. I, I think, you know, probably the biggest thing that has made our culture work is that we hold people accountable accountable for results, not the process. So what that means is we're not micromanaging people. We're not tracking people's time. We're not tracking, you know, how they do certain things. We're really holding them responsible for the results that they're required to deliver in their role that contribute to our overall realization of our annual goals and our three-year vision in our company. Mm. And what I have found is that when you give that kind of trust, what you get is um, an honoring of that trust in return. People rise to the occasion and they do deliver. And I think it's impractical and also demeaning to try to um, micromanage people in a virtual environment. I think that's that's actually true in any environment, but mm. I think it's especially true. And if you assume the best about your people and you hold them accountable for the results, I think it can be incredibly productive. I also think we learned too that people need in-person human interaction and we're now starting to moving toward reopening our office in a safe way. And you know, there's just no substitute for some impersonal interaction as well because we're humans. That's one of the things I liked about the last uh, boss I had at the last regular job I worked is he extended trust to you by default and only took it away if you gave him a reason right. to do that. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. the way to do it. And I also, that was the only job I've worked, and I was fortunate to be in that job for 13, 14 years, where there was a high level of autonomy, like you talked yes. about. And I found that I thrived in that environment. That's right. And that's one of the things that gave me the confidence to want to step out on my own because I realized I could mm-hmm. thrive. I didn't necessarily need the structure I thought I needed and wasn't going to have if I was as much of as I was working for myself. So yeah. I blame him for the Read to Lead podcast. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, we'll talk about this idea of, of carving out time for non-achievement and, and, and the incredible yeah. power that comes with that. Well, you know, this is kind of a new concept for a lot of us. And this is the idea that we think so much about achievement, right? That valuable time <laughs> equals achievement. But actually, non-achievement, things that are that are not measurable or uh, able to be metricized are things that set us up ultimately for achievement and really give our lives meaning. You know, what we want is for people to win at work and succeed at life. And then ultimately that enables you to have a meaningful, successful life in the truest sense. That's what we want for people. And so non-achievement are going to be things like hobbies. I mean, most of us don't have hobbies, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's just something mm-hmm. that if you're, if you're in the hustle fallacy, you're certainly not having hobbies because that doesn't <laughs> really give you those bragging rights. If you've got time for mm-hmm. hobbies, then you should be producing something. But what mm-hmm. we find is, is that our our very best ideas, our greatest creativity come from those times when we're not on, so to speak. You know, for me, that looks like running. When I go out and run uh, outdoors, I hate treadmills. So, you know, you're, not, you're never going to find me. I, I go in the gym <laughs> to lift weights, but I do not go in the gym to do cardio. <laughs> I, I like to be outside where I have fresh air. I mean, it's not 10 minutes into that run before I have some huge brainstorm about something. Mm. My best ideas come when I'm running or fishing. That's my other hobby. You know, I love to fish. Um, I fly fish a little bit and uh, do some other kinds of fishing. Mm. My 
family has a lake house that we go to pretty frequently when the weather's warm. And I love that. I love being on the water. I love feeling the wind. I love the sun. You know, when, when I'm in that place of non-achievement or sitting on the floor with my two-year-old daughter and playing, and my kids are 20 to two, so I have quite mm. a range of kids, mm. you know, that's what fuels me and rejuvenates my brain so that when I come back to work on Monday, I have something to give. You know, I have new ideas, new thoughts. Um, and I think that's the value of hobbies. I've also, you were talking about music. I'm, uh, one of my annual goals this year is to learn to play the piano. I haven't played since I was a kid. Uh-huh. And I'm really excited about that. I haven't been a beginner at anything for a while. And that's <laughs> going to be so fun. So that's another hobby. And, and I find those things a little scary, too. But Absolutely. That, that's where the magic happens, right? That is where the magic happens. Get outside your comfort zone a little yeah. bit. Yeah, but this is really a performance strategy. So I want to kind of keep mm. going back to that, because what I don't want your listeners to hear is, oh, this is this must just be a way to have a, a better life, you know, more well-rounded life. Yes, that is mm. true. And this is going to drive your professional performance. This is like intentional, strategic hobby time. This non-achievement time is going to drive your achievement. Hmm. Well, up until this morning, prior to our interview, I had read all but the last chapter of the book, and I was going to come at the interview and read that one later, but I ended up reading it uh, just a, an hour or so ago, and I'm glad I did, Yeah. Uh, because it leads me to this, this next question. What are some of the things that uh, leaders can do to model these concepts and, yeah. and implement the double win, sort of that lead by example within totally. the organization? Well, the first thing is to lead by example and define your own double win. And what I would say is that there are really three non-negotiables that you have to identify for yourself. If you're like, okay, how do I put this into practice? The first one is self-care. What are your self-care priorities? And number one among those should be sleep. So sleep, nutrition, uh, movement or exercise, you know, all those are really critical. But if you're not getting enough sleep every night, your ability to make decisions, your ability to have the emotional bandwidth to solve problems, all those kinds of things is really diminished. So identify what your self-care priorities are going to be that are non-negotiable for you. For me, that's I'm going to bed at nine. I'm getting up at five. I exercise five days a week in the morning, starting at 6.30. You know, I plan my meals for the entire day, every day, so I don't get in a situation where my blood sugar gets too low. It's not a magical diet. I'm just really being intentional about making sure I have a plan for what I'm going to eat that day. The second thing is your relational priorities. You know, what are your non-negotiables around relationships? For me... Uh, That means I'm the one who picks my kids up from school. I decided pretty early on that's what I wanted to do. Um, And so I am done with work every day at three. I go straight to school number one. Then I go straight to school number (laughs) two, uh, get the kids from school. And that's really important to me. We also Mm -hmm. do family dinner night because I want to have my kids around the table. A meal's not, you know, usually very fancy, but we get everybody around the table. We're hearing about our day. We're practicing um, connection with each other. And then we're a family of faith. So we go to church or attend Mm -hmm. church virtually, depending on the situation. Um, on Sundays. And so those are my relational priorities. Oh, and my date night. I forgot about that. Every Tuesday mm. is date night for us. And then professional results. So these are your three non-negotiables, your self-care priorities, your relational priorities, and your professional results. So what are the professional results that you're responsible for in your business or in your role where these are the high leverage deliverables that if you do these things, you move the needle forward on what you're responsible for um, in the success of your business, then you're going to schedule those. 
those things. So as a leader, if you can do these, uh, identify these three non-negotiables, what are the, the things in each of these categories, self-care, relational, and professional, that's going to go a long way. You know, from there, you want to give your team the autonomy, again, hold them accountable for results, not for the process. You want to constrain the workday and the work week. And this is tough because if you don't model I'm in at this time, I'm out at that time. You know, even if you're in a totally virtual remote environment, what happens is people will model your behavior. If you're subtly communicating, not even explicitly, that you want them responding to your email that you sent at seven or eight or nine o'clock, they're watching that phone all night. And then if you're on doing special projects on the weekends, they're going to think they need to be doing that too. So it's really important that you you constrain the workday and the work week and tell people when they should be working and then when they should not be working and make sure you hold yourself accountable to that. I want to give credit to you and your organization for something you inspired me to do. My wife and I are homebodies uh, mm-hmm. much of the time, but when we go out on the weekends, it's often with other couples and with yeah. friends. But we weren't getting date nights and yeah. frankly, didn't look forward to going out on the weekends and crowds and all that kind of stuff right. uh, pre-COVID. So what we did, not everybody can do this, but what we did is we carved out a date day. So Oh, that's fun. Uh, every Wednesday, we'll be going on our date day from 11 until 3 o'clock. We have Love carved that. out uh, to do that. So that's, that's something that you guys inspired. So thank you for that. Well, so often we kind of wait for inspiration for these things, you know, like, mm. oh, I need to come up with a really great idea for a date. <laughs> And actually, it's so much better if you just get it on the calendar. For us, it's every Tuesday. We got the babysitter lined up. We pick where we're going to go to eat. I mean, sometimes it's the same thing every week, but we have that time together. And it's so wonderful. You know, that's where you get those incremental gains in your relationships. Mm. It's not the big dramatic moments. It's the it's what you get scheduled, as my dad says, gets done. And so we got to schedule mm. these non-negotiables. And I love what you've done. That's such a great story. <laughs> well, before I uh, get to a couple of questions I want to ask that aren't directly related to your book, I want to ask if there's anything else from the book that you want to make sure we know or walk away with. Well, you know, what I hope that your listeners walk away with is just a, a vision that this is possible for them. You know, there's this kind of myth in our culture that balance is impossible. And and that really is a myth. It really is possible to have work-life balance, to win at work and succeed at life, no matter what your position is in an organization, no matter what your financial resources are. It really comes down to having a vision for what you want in all of your life and then ultimately a simple strategy to get there. And that's really what we've done in this book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. So I'd love it if you guys would get the book. We've got some special bonuses for your folks. And you can find out about those at winandsucceedbook.com. Winandsucceedbook.com. Excellent. Thank you for that. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that uh, you're uh, a voracious reader like I am. I am. <laughs> I'd love to get some some insight into your history with, with reading and the impact that books have had on your life. How would you say that habit of being a voracious reader has, has played a role in your career and your life and your success? Well, it's it's critically important. You know, mm-hmm. my dad has, and actually his dad, have been great models in learning. I remember as a kid, you know, pre-Google, pre-accessibility <laughs> of everything on the internet, I, I grew mm-hmm. up and I watched my dad, who, you know, really doesn't have formal business training, but has become very, very successful as mm-hmm. an executive and as an entrepreneur, say to me over and over again, Megan, 
whatever you don't know, all you need to do is find a book. All mm. there's, There is a book out there or there's a person out there that knows what you don't know and all you gotta do is find it. And this is like pre-Amazon, pre-Google, you know, like he would go to the library or, you know, Barnes mm. and Noble or, or whatever bookstore it was back then. And that was so empowering to me. And mm. I, I think that's even truer now. It has never been easier to find the answer to whatever it is that you don't know and wanna learn. Mm. Um, but it just, books open up a world and kind of democratize success in a way mm. that nothing else does. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I, I love the, the way you put that, democratized success. And mm-hmm. yeah, somebody else has already solved the problem. Right. Somehow. So, we don't so. need to do that work. We just need <laughs> yeah. to find the person who's already done it. I should also say that I come from a publishing family. So, you know, my dad was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers right. for years. He was in publishing before that. My husband was a publisher and an acquisitions mm. editor at Thomas Nelson as well. Um, so, you know, books are in our blood. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, what would you say is a book or two that stands out as having had an impact on you? Maybe it's a book that you reread even occasionally. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. I feel like the the question of what is my favorite book is so hard to answer, but I'll tell you two that I'm reading right now. And in some ways, what I'm reading right now is always my favorite. So, um, yeah, I get, the, I get that. The one I'm just about at the end of is a book called The Healing Organization Awaking the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. Mm. And it's really kind of like a capitalism 2.0 book in a way. It is fantastic. One of my clients recommended it to me, and it just talks about the power of business to solve problems in the world and really within our organizations to make a better world for our employees and our customers and clients, um, but but not the expense of profit, which I love. Mm. You know, I love that model. It gets me really excited about, uh, again, there's not this binary choice. It's a, mm-hmm. it's kind of a both and third way option. So I love, love, love that book, The Healing Organization. The other one I'm just starting that just actually came out is a book called Culture Revolution by Kevin Oaks. Mm. And I heard him interviewed maybe a month ago on um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Um, and it's it's the subtitle is 18 Leadership Actions to Build an Unshakable Company. And it's just a really, really thoughtful book about culture. And, you know, my dad always says that culture is the unseen force that drives operating results. And as our company is rapidly scaling, um, I'm just thinking a lot about culture and how do I design our culture for the next stage of growth that we're mm-hmm. about to go into um, so that we don't lose and we build on um, the amazing things we've already done. So those are two really fun ones. My favorite book right now is yours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so so I can I can definitely attest to, to the need to pick that up by everybody listening for sure. Well, thank you for that. Once the book is out and, and your interviews uh, to help promote it are behind you, what would you say is ahead for you and your team as you look to the rest of 2021 that you're excited about and are able at this point to even talk about or share? Yeah. Well, there's some stuff that um, is in the works that I can't yet talk about, <laughs> but I'm really excited. One of the things that we are working toward right now is a headquarters for our company. So we have a big coaching program, a group coaching program called Business Accelerator. We also do one-on-one coaching Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, corporate training. And we are really excited to build out a headquarters where we can host those in our own space and design everything. I have a design background. So I'm very intentional and thoughtful about how all the design elements work to create the transformation for our clients that we're working toward. And so I'm really excited about that. Our goal is to be in that space by next spring. We're finalizing um, some of the details on the real estate piece now. And I'm just so pumped about that because for me, um, the ability to create an experience for our clients and customers is just going to be powerful. So I can't wait to do that. 
Well, this has been a real treat for me, and I want to kind of wrap up by just expressing the impact that the organization that you now lead has had on me and my career over the last 10 or 15 years, ever since uh, Michael was at Thomas Nelson and his blog, I think it was called From Where I Sit or something like that. Yeah, that's right. He's been a virtual mentor uh, to me for a long time, and and having seen you speak and walking Mm -hmm. away going, she was my favorite speaker of everybody. (laughs) And and now knowing that you're taking the reins and, and leading it forward, I'm just really excited. Wow. And thank you for, for all that uh, Michael Hyatt and company has done for me. And uh, I, I just, I can't express that, that, uh, that appreciation enough. Well, Jeff, thank you. You know, that is um, what makes our work worth it. That's, those are the stories we love to hear. It's why we get out of bed every day. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being such a good student too. My goodness. <laughs> Megan mentioned that special address where you can pre-order the book and get several bonuses, several hundred dollars worth of bonuses. In fact, I put that link along with the book that she recommended and the other resources and links discussed on the show notes page for this episode. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash three for episode 366. While you're there, be sure and grab my new free ebook called Dream Big, Five Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Life. Just enter your name and email address in the form at the upper right of the page and it's yours free. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com. Next time we come together, we'll be joined by Arnie Malham, who is the brains behind the Better Book Club and, of course, has a book of his own. That's next week on the Read to Lead podcast. That'll do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.